Hello, and welcome to Decision NYC with Ben Max. I'm Ben Max, your host and the executive editor of Gotham Gazette. The 2021 New York City election season is underway, and it's poised to be the most significant municipal election in decades. All of city government is on the ballot, and because so few incumbents are eligible to run for re-election, New York voters are selecting a whole new roster of city leadership. There will be a new mayor of New York City elected here in 2021, as well as a new city controller, new borough presidents, and many new city council members. And that's not all that's on the ballot. Some city council members are eligible for re-election and are running again. There's a crowded and competitive Manhattan district attorney race and more. Party primaries are set for June and the general election will culminate on November 2nd. This is the first full set of municipal elections that will feature both early voting and ranked choice voting, a new system that applies to party primaries and special elections only, and we'll have a separate show just on ranked choice voting. This city election cycle would be of enormous importance under usual circumstances, but it's unfolding at a time of great crisis for our city, raising the stakes of the decisions that you, the voter, will make. This new wave of city leadership will quite clearly make or break the city's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic and all that it has wrought, its impact on housing, families, health, jobs, education, and more, not to mention the crises that the city was facing even before the pandemic. So we're pleased to bring you this series of interviews with the candidates running for mayor of New York City, as well as candidates running for other offices. These one-on-one -on -one conversations will help you get to know the candidates better, their vision, their ideas, their platforms, their backgrounds, their resumes, and help you make informed decisions when it's time to vote. So joining me today is Curtis Lewa, a Republican candidate for mayor of New York City. Curtis, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Oh, anytime. I'm available. I'm like Glenn's life. You put a camera on me, bam, I'm ready to go. There you go. Here you are. So you're running for mayor. You're really doing it. Tell us why. What, what's after a, a long uh, time in civic affairs and as a radio host and a commentator and all the things that we'll get into a little bit more. But what what makes you jump into this race for mayor right now? Well, the same reason that you have so many Democrats, what, 20? Yeah, pretty soon it'll be 30 more. Every conceivable person representing every conceivable group. And it's because of the disastrous mayoralty of Bill de Blasio. Uh, he has so wrecked this city. Everywhere you look, every visible sign, and there's such hopelessness and despair. So I understand why so many Democrats want to run. But I think my specialty, different than others, is that I've got that street cred. I've been out there now 42 years with the Guardian Angels in New York and other cities throughout the world, but especially in New York City. And I've seen the transition from the time of the 70s when we were in fiscal peril on the brink of bankruptcy. That's the direction we're going now. And I learned how you had to do more with less. There were major cutbacks uh, in city government services. That's why I formed the Guardian Angels because there were no transit cops on the subways at night and crime was skyrocketing. So, you know, everything comes around and goes around back to its roots. So if you lived through that area and you saw all the mistakes, but you saw, like at that time, Ed Koch, who knew as a brand new mayor, he had to throw nickels around like uh, 
manhole covers because there was no money. It was under fiscal restraint. There was a financial control board, Felix Roatan, Victor Gottbaum, the great union leader. They counted every nickel, dime, and penny. And Koch would curse to the high heavens that he, he, he had nothing to spend. So he'd get out there and he was a cheerleader of the people. He was on the subways. He was in the streets. He walked into retail. He patted people on the back. Uh, a lot of ego gratification, hey, how am I doing, how am I doing? But people love that because they knew there was no money to operate, but he helped revive the city. That's one thing that a new mayor must do because with Bill de Blasio, we see that he walks around, his head is always down, he seems to be depressed, he's always a bad news bear. Gotta be a little bit of a good news bear. And we gotta mm -hmm. convince a lot of people to come back. In the 70s, when I formed the Guardian Angels, one million people fled New York City. It was a lot worse than it is now. I know many people say, oh, oy vey, oy vey, it's so bad today. It is, but it's not like the 70s and 80s. A million people left. There were abandoned buildings. There was desperation in the thought process of people. And then we had to turn it around. And I believe that I and the Guardian Angels contributed to that on the volunteer level without costing taxpayers any money. And I think a lot of what has to be done is people themselves are going to have to pitch in. People themselves are going to have to say, not only is government going to have to do more with less, but so are people. We're going to get the brooms. We're going to get out there, sweep the streets because there's garbage everywhere. we got to improve the quality of life. we got to tend to those who are homeless and in despair. And can't, let's get, let's, can't just depend on government to do it. Let's get into a few of those things in a minute. But just on the Guardian Angels, which is obviously the thing most people know you for, uh, although obviously you've also been a, a radio show host um, that a lot of people listen to. But uh, on the Guardian Angels, can, can you point to, I don't know, do you, have, do you have data on the Guardian Angels? Do you, have a, do you have a way to tell people, here's what we've accomplished in certain places where we've patrolled you? Do you have anything over the years or even recently where you've said, okay, when we've patrolled on, you know, in X neighborhood, we've seen a, a decrease in, in crime or a decrease in calls to 911 or whatever it might be? Well, let's deal with the short term and then the long term. The short term is uh, we went through a summer in which uh, some of the demonstrations turned into riots and looting, especially June 1st, June 2nd. It was complete anarchy in the streets. The cops obviously stood back. I believe it was because of the orders of the mayor. And we guardian angels crawled right into the belly of the beast. I had my jaw broken. Other guardian angels were fighting off looters. There was no one to depend on other than the guardian angels. And oftentimes, that's what happens in neighborhoods. Now, look at the proliferation of guardian angel patrols. I never would have thought 42 years ago we'd be patrolling the Upper East Side, but we are now the Upper West Side. Little Italy, Chinatown, Wall Street, Inwood. Never would have thought that. In fact, they wouldn't have let me walk through the neighborhood because they would have thought with my Red Beret, property values would drop. And now we see the problems everywhere. And most importantly, when you look at 42 years, there's a lot of young men and young women who are on the brink of either being part of the problem or becoming part of the problem, who will tell you through their own uh, chronicling of their time as a guardian angel, how it taught them self-esteem, it taught them that they had to do for community, and how you can reclaim your neighborhood without constantly blaming the police, elected officials, but scrape the barnacles off your backside, get your rear in gear. And I don't think anybody would doubt the two major accomplishments, the subways in the 70s and 80s, where there were no transit cops at night, and Times Square in the age of crack, 
when even Ed Koch said to uh, those on Restaurant Row and Broadway, if the Guardian Angels patrol, I'm not going to give you police protection. And those owners and operators said, you know what? We're not getting it now. So we'll depend on the Guardian Angels. That's the gateway to the world, Times Square. With all the advancements in policing, uh, broken windows policing, neighborhood policing, precision policing, all these terms that the mayor and the police commissioners, not even just the current ones, previous ones as well, have used, um, why do you think with 35,000 plus uniformed officers and other 15,000 civilian officers, what do you attribute this year's, the, as we're talking here at the very end of 2020, uh, what do you think this year's rise in shootings is a result of? Uh, many people point to social factors, the pandemic, massive job loss, people, you know, hungry, et cetera. Um, but what do you attribute it to? Uh, I, I know I've heard the mayor and others say, oh, it's because of the pandemic. It's because of poverty. Let me tell you something. They're not out in the streets. I'm out in the streets. Most of these shootings are by organized street gangs. Bloods, Crips, factions of those groups, MS-13, 18th Street. If you would ask most of the people running, who are these people? They have no idea. They're afraid of them. That's why they have the armed security officers sometimes in their entourage to protect them because they don't go into these neighborhoods. That's where I grew up. That's where I was birthed. That's what I dealt with. And I will tell you this much. When kids are not in school and they're supposedly on a computer like this doing their lessons. And let's face it, a lot of them are not. The poorer, the more impoverished they are, the less of them are able to make contact with their teachers and gain knowledge. But they're hanging out, right? Maybe in a public housing project or a tenement or in a neighborhood where gangs have proliferated. And who do you think is recruiting them? Who do you think is telling them how they have to earn their stripes? Well, you earn your stripes in a gang by taking a gun at a young age and killing an adversary or shooting an adversary. So that's interesting. You, you, you do see some- the cops. Unfortunately, they're reactive. They're not proactive. They took out the street crime unit, which was the number one police method of stopping the growth of gangs and the proliferation of guns in the streets. So it's interesting, you, you did make some connection to the sort of social dislocation we've seen, you know, people not in school, people not going to work, there's a lot less activity, uh, teenagers are less connected. Um, so if you were mayor today, it sounds like you'd reinstitute the, that quote unquote anti-crime unit that was very focused on trying to get guns off the street. But as the police commissioner Dermot Chase said, it, it was received a lot of complaints about its tactics and, and brutality. What else would you do to make the city more safe uh, other than reinstituting that unit? Well, number one, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Dermot Shea. You reform the street crime unit. You don't get rid of your number one tool at doing intervention and in stopping gang proliferation shootings because there's, there's a revenge cycle and the flow of guns into the street. You reform that. They had a great homeless unit that I've worked with for years that go went in and out of the shelters, in and out of these hotels, dealt with the homeless in the streets. They disbanded that. Now look, there's no connection with public safety. And let's start with Thrive. Oh, I want an investigation of the, where did the one and a quarter billion dollars go? Because if you listen to a police scanner in almost every precinct, EDP, EDP, EDP breaking in, and EDP assault. These are men and women who need mental health care. They're not getting it from Thrive. EDP is uh, an emotionally disturbed person, of course. Right. But what you have to do is, and I agree with some of the critics of the police department, 
Cops don't want to be social workers, don't want to have to deal with mental health care problems. Mm -hmm. Should have special units in each precinct composed of mental health experts who can respond simultaneously with the police when there is an emotionally disturbed person having an episode. Now, I've been in situations where it's gone very bad or it's gone very well. It's always nice to know the police are available if it really accelerates. But I think you can have these people house. Look, doesn't the fire department have EMTs? They're not firefighters, but what do they deal with? They deal with physical issues, people being mm. sick, sometimes mentally sick. We should likewise have a unit in each and every precinct that does that side by side with the police. So it's sort of like it's half of what each side wants. So it sounds like obviously public safety would be a major focus for you. Everybody who's heard of your work and the guardian angels would expect that. So I wanna get into some other topics. Before we get into the economy and, and the economic revival, uh, trying to keep people from leaving the city, trying to bring jobs here. I do want to ask you sort of about this idea of, of you know, you want people obviously to take a, your run for mayor uh, seriously. How do you separate that from, you know, sort, sort of some of the uh, work you've done as a radio host? You've been a little bit of a shock jock in, in some ways. You've, you know, come under some fire at different points for saying, you know, misogynistic things, racially insensitive things. Do you want to apologize for any of that? Are there things where, you know, uh, you things you regret? Are there things you want to say to New Yorkers now that you're asking for their vote uh, to be the mayor of the city around, uh, you know, how you've approached some of those issues and topics? Sure. And I mean, look, I've been in talk radio for 30 years. Every day I've been talking maybe two or three hours on subjects that are pertinent to people's lives or social uh, commentary or issues uh, uh, that were cultural. And so, sure, you're going to say something sometimes that sort of bend people the wrong way. But we've seen a whole slew of you. Just look recently, Howard Stern, right? Oh, he, he said some things, right? But all of a sudden, he had embraced a Democratic point of view who's anti-Trump. So people forgave him. Look, you take it point for point for whatever I say. If it disturbed you, if it upset you, Maybe I have to go back and I have to uh, look at that twice. For some of these things I have apologized for others. I might not, but I don't. I doubt there's anybody in this race who has done more commentary than yours truly, Curtis Lee. We're both not only in radio, television, and in other forms, in which sometimes you're going to say things that are somewhat regretful. Remember, we've all matured. Things are a lot different than they were in the '70s and '80s. Things that were acceptable now are not acceptable today, and I completely understand that. In terms of, of making that jump, it, you, you, you hit on it a little bit here. You've supported President Trump uh, recently. Do you, uh, did you vote for him in this most recent election? Uh, actually, I've never supported uh, Donald Trump, the citizen, when he ran in 2016, although I did not support Hillary. I actually voted for myself. I took a picture in the voting right. group. I was so disappointed with both. Both of whom mm -hmm. I, I've, I've had a love-hate relationship with Donald Trump, the citizen in New York, for years. And then this time around in 2020, I didn't like the noise from both sides. I certainly was uh, upset with President Trump. He needed Chinese finger cuffs because every day he'd start out with a tweet and it would just create more and more what I call mishigash. Uh, so I looked, I looked at Joe Biden. I said, hmm, not ready for prime time. I didn't want to give uh, Donald Trump another four years. So I voted for Brock Pierce, 
who was a young entrepreneur, very much involved in technology, ran on the Independence Party line here in New York City mm -hmm. and had some other right. lines around the country. So I'm, I've not been a Trumper. There are things- Well, I, you, he's okay, you, I mean, you said, you, said, you said a lot of complimentary things and, and some criti critical things. And, and you appeared recently at a New York Republican uh, event with some you know, leaders supporting, supporting Trump. So I, it, seemed like, it seemed like you were heading in that direction, but that's interesting about your vote. So, so that puts you in a, in a tricky position here running as a Republican for mayor. Uh, what do you say to Republican? You, know, you, you need to start with winning the Republican primary. What do you say to Republican primary voters who say, wait, you didn't vote for our incumbent president? Well, and I've been very consistent in that. Uh, so it's not like all of a sudden I changed because like, you know, a lot of people in politics, they lick their fingers, see which way the wind is flowing. Gee, I don't want to upset this person, that person. That's who Curtis Lee is. Before I became a Republican, I was the chairman of the New York State Reform Party. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we lost online ballot status because of Cuomo. Uh, so I've always been an independent for most of my life. What I would say to not only Republicans, but independents and moderate Democrats, because that's what a Republican will need if he or she expects to get elected the next mayor, is that let's look at the issues. Trump has no impact on it because he's out. He might run in another four years. Joe Biden has so many problems. He's not going to be focused on New York City. We got to deal with the basics, picking up the garbage. The streets are a mess. There's garbage everywhere, dealing with crime dealing with juvenile delinquency, homeless, emotionally disturbed. Joe Biden can't help us with that. We have to help ourselves. And look, if you want to hold it against me because I didn't vote for Donald Trump, I respect that. People have choices. But if you want somebody who, uh, if you cut his veins and arteries, he bleeds New York City. And I think I've proven in a lot of ways that I can deal with a lot of these problems. Then give me a shot. Give me a chance and let everybody else who's running against me speak. And then hopefully if I'm the candidate, uh, the Democrat who survives or the independent candidates who survive. So say more about what you do as mayor, uh, especially let's talk about the economy a little bit. Uh, obviously, what you just mentioned about sort of street cleanliness, crime, those are things that are underpinnings of a healthy city. Um, but we also need to bring jobs back to New York City. We've lost so many, and maybe this vaccine uh, will help with that a lot and get the economy going again, but there's still gonna be real challenges for the New York City economy. And of course, city tax revenue then depends on that. How would a Curtis Lewa mayoralty uh, try to reinvigorate the city economy and bring jobs to New York City? Number one, that is such a massive issue because of the pandemic that if there's any one man or woman out there who says that they know what to do, they're lying. This has never happened before. This is not like a depression. This is not like a recession. This is something that's been caused by an issue that we knew might happen, but nobody really paid attention to it. But you gotta get the experts at all different levels involved in this because I may have some ideas, which, and you have to get others in their different fields so you've got to get tenants, you got to get landlords, you got to get small business people, you got to get those who are involved in Fortune 500 companies, you got to get Wall Street. I know there are a lot of people out there who hate Wall Street, but guess what? They're getting wine dined in pocket line right now by Texas and Florida to leave New York City and to head south uh, of the Mason-Dixon line. And we've learned one thing in this pandemic is that people don't need to come to New York City to work for a New York corporation. We're going to get them to come back to the city with a crunch like 
sardines an hour and a half, two hours a day. What do you think the answer is? What do you, what does the mayor of New York city need to do? Well, you have to encourage businesses to be creative with themselves. It, it may not necessarily be that people are going to return in mass, but you may get them to return part-time. You may get specialized services to take place and you may create a entire new workforce because remember you have a new generation that's entering the workforce. Everything is technological, but my roots are blue collar. So what I'm going to be focused on, it's got to save those blue collar jobs, those those guys and gals out there who don't have a lot of negotiable skills, who in this pandemic have been crushed because if you had negotiable skills, you could stay at home and work and still earn a living, actually save money, bank money, because you weren't spending money anywhere else because you were locked down. Uh, and I think that's, that's where I'll be able to uh, sort of meet with people in blue collar industries and figure out how we can preserve their jobs and make them relative to a city that's gonna be a lot different than what we knew before the pandemic. I don't think I have all the answers. And if anybody out there says they do, I don't know where they, they've evolved that from because we've never been through this before. Talk a little bit more about what you've seen over the decades from New York City mayors that informs this run of yours. Who, who's done some good things? Who do you think has done, you already mentioned some criticism of the current mayor, he's on his way out due to term limits. But talk a little bit more about your perspective as you as you say to people, I can be the next leader of the city. Who do you take lessons from, both good and bad? Well, Ed Koch, number one, because when I started the Guardian Angels 42 years ago, uh, he couldn't have been more pejorative to me and the Guardian Angels. In fact, he had me locked up over 60 times. So it's interesting. We discussed criminal justice. I'm probably the only candidate who's actually been locked up on Rikers Island who's lectured at Rikers Island, who's done programs by radio from Rikers Island. So I know the inside out of the criminal justice system and policing. And but with Ed Koch, he was a cheerleader. He was constantly urging New Yorkers on. He wasn't doom and gloom. That's one thing I learned from him. Rudy Giuliani, quality of life. Without a quality of life, you can do everything else, but people are not gonna invest in the city. They're gonna leave the city like they're leaving now. Michael Bloomberg, I felt it a real disservice to New York. I know a lot of people out there that praise Michael Bloomberg. To me, he was too much into analytics, like a lot of people on Wall Street. The stop and frisk at the end of Bloomberg's administration, after he stole an extra four years, Mr. Term Limits, was a shanda, was a disgrazia, 700,000, mostly young men of color, being jammed up against the wall search. At Lynch was telling him, don't do this. You're imposing quotas on us. The community is going to turn on us. They're going to hate us. Pat Lynch, who I've had disagreements with, was absolutely right. And Bloomberg had a deaf ear. 700,000 stop and frisk that. I, I saw it let, myself. I was in complete. Let's stick with that for a second. Let's stick with that and your experience in the criminal justice system that you just mentioned. You obviously talk a lot more about being tougher on crime. We've, we've covered that quite a bit in this conversation already. Are there things that come from the Black Lives Matter movement? Are there things that come from the criminal justice reform movement? You just talked about you know, being critical of the uh, massive expansion of stop and frisk, but there are other things in the criminal justice system that you think need reform uh, as opposed to getting tougher on crime? Are there, are there things where you think as mayor, you'd be able to compromise with the reformers on the other end? Well, 
when you're mayor, you have to compromise. The city has changed radically. Demographics, it's not the city of Giuliani and Bloomberg. I tell Republicans that all the time. There's a new generation, hipsters and millennials. Many of them are very liberal, very progressive, very idealistic. I know, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I grew up as being an idealistic person and still am. So yeah, there are things that they say that you might want to morph on. One thing I would disagree with them is that clearly they had the initiative to close Rikers Island. I don't know how many of them have been locked up in Rikers Island, but I have. Look, it's only like four and a half thousand people now there, many of them emotionally disturbed who should not be incarcerated. They need mental health care, big mistake. But to think we're gonna be able to build community prisons and Queens and Manhattan to replace what is, where are we going to get the money? There's not going to be any money. Everything's well, going to get defunded. So I think well, the, there's got to be a lot of pragmatic common sense mm -hmm. concepts here like, hey, there's plenty of room on Rikers Island. It could be rebuilt, rehabbed, made relative. So you're teaching young men because they have a school out there. I certainly have been in that school and observed the teaching. You can reform them. It can be a place where a young person comes out of a situation, even if they can't make bail, 80% of them can't, although in the, the no-bail situation, which we have no control of because it's a state issue, uh, it becomes less of an issue. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of innovative things that can be done. And who better than a guy who's gotten wooden shampoos and concrete facials from the cops, understands the problems that policing have, and has been in the streets. I got to tell you, most of these men and women running, they may be well-intentioned, but do they really have street smarts? Ask yourself, or is it new street smarts that's not relative to coming up with a long-term and short-term solution? On the issue of bail reform that you just mentioned, you did you, you acknowledge, of course, it is state law, but um, what do you think is the right balance in terms of who can be locked up pre-trial. Do you think the balance has now been struck right? They they walked back, you know, they they repealed some of the bail reform law they did uh, in 2019. In 2020, there was a little bit of a alteration to the sweeping reform that was passed in 2019. Do you think they got it right now? Do you think it's it still should be rolled back a bit more so there's more people eligible for pre-trial detention on bail? What do you think is the right balance? You know, we are so pretentious here in New York. We think we're the brightest, the smartest. We always do it the best. We couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Right across the Hudson River is New Jersey. They have a no bail provision. They debated it in their state legislature. They gave more powers, judiciary powers, and making decisions to the judges in the various court systems, the tiers. That's worked a lot better. But here in New York, we had an opportunity to learn from the positives, and some of their mistakes. And our state legislature in Cuomo took the attitude, we don't learn anything from New Jersey. If we could be more like New Jersey, it would be a better system. Now, number one, it's for flight risk. I know, because I've been subject to bail myself in the many times that the cops arrest. But if you're a danger to yourself and to society, there has to be a provision there that you're being detained because you're a threat to your community. And more importantly, in a lot of times, a threat to yourself because of psychological problems that you may have that have led to this crime or crimes in the past. 
And right now, a judge in many instances is completely handcuffed. Uh, I mean, I could cite you case after case. It's mind boggling. And criminals get that and say, you're kidding. So you like the judicial discretion. I'm out in the streets. Right. Assessment. I follow, if I could, even though it's a state issue, the New Jersey model, they've had some problems, but it's so much better than ours because mm -hmm. they get more decision making to the judges. So um, let's, in our last uh, five or six minutes here, let's talk about just a couple more topics. Um, what do you think needs to change in New York City schools? You want to be uh, mayor, assuming mayoral control of city schools continues, or you can say if you oppose mayoral control of city schools and would, would want to give that back, uh, you know, to more community control, a board of education, et cetera. But um, what does the Curtis Leo want to do about city schools? We've, you know, seen, you know, sort of incremental progress over many years in the city schools, but there's still just so many problems um, that mayors haven't been able to, to fix. Uh, what, what would you do differently? Well, I've been a product of both the public school system and the private school system in New York City. In fact, in the 60s, when I went to public schools, they were better than the parochial schools that I went to. University, different tiers. So, you know, you were in advanced classes, SP in junior high schools. I noticed what Bloomberg did is he eliminated the SP class for advanced students in all the inner city schools, or most of them, I may be uh, embellishing that. Because he said there weren't enough students who had qualified for SP. I don't care if there's four students or eight or 12, this should be an SP class. They shouldn't have to travel two hours cross town to go to a special campus that can deal with their academic needs because they're excelling beyond their peers. And you're referring to what's now called gifted and talented. You're, you're referring to Queens College, Staten Island Tech, obviously the ones everybody knows, Brooklyn Tech, Bronx uh, High School of Science, uh, Stuyvesant. But I'm telling you, it starts in the junior high school system. That's when you used to have guidance counselors who would come to me. They'd say, Curtis, you know, you're not doing too well academically. You ought to think about maybe vocational high school. We need so many more vocational high schools. In fact, I'm a supporter of charter schools, but I really wish that they would devote some of their curriculum to vocational training because I go right up into the high school. The demands are for young men and young women with negotiable skills. That's what vocational schools do. A lot of my cousins would have been in jail if not for vocational education. And we just, we give lip service to it. I would focus on that as a priority because we're doing well academically, for those who uh, have really studied hard and who have done well. But what about all those young men and women? Like for me, part of my life where an academic curriculum was of no interest to me whatsoever, they've fallen through the cracks. And I think I could understand where their mindset is because I was there. Where are you in the, this constant debate in the city? And this goes back uh, really accelerated during the Bloomberg years, but has continued about development, about housing, job development, economic development. Where are you in that debate? What kind of you know, vision for the city do you have? Do you want to welcome lots of development? Do you want more housing, more, you know, more campuses? Or are you leery of that? Well, it's interesting. That's a land use issue. And a lot of communities, they have different points of view about it. I'll tell you this, because of the economic dire circumstances that we're in right now, I would be like Monty Hall. I would be saying the tenants, landlords, those who hold mortgages, banks, businesses, huge Fortune 500, small mom and pop, mid-level sized businesses, chain stores, 
let's make a deal. Let's sit down and figure out how you can operate in New York City, understanding that many of you don't have to be here to make money, to serve your stockholders, and figure out how we can lower rates and make it affordable for not just the workers, but for the investors and those obviously who have a responsibility to either their stockholders or their family, if it's a family-owned business. You've already indicated your, in many appearances, including this one, your dislike for Bill de Blasio's leadership of the city. If you were giving him a letter grade, what would it be? After his recent uh, prognostication about how the pandemic helped in him getting more sleep, E minus. Uh, you've mentioned uh, some of the things you liked about Ed Koch, some of the things about Rudy Giuliani. Is there one other political role model you have, one other person you'd mention that you look up to and New Yorkers could know that you have somewhat similar politics? Personally, knew David Dinkins, his likability. Uh, mm. He was a grandfatherly okay. type, but in terms of his ability to provide the services and uh, to stop crime, uh, he was dismal, but he generated a particular persona that I think our next mayor, she or he, uh, must be able to do it. Curtis Lewa, Republican candidate for New York City mayor, thank you for taking the time today. Oh, anytime. Like I said, put the camera on me and I'll let you know things about Curtis Lewa that nobody ever, I'm a Republican like no other Republican you've ever known. And thank you for watching Decision NYC with Ben Max. I'm Ben Max, your host, editor of Gotham Gazette. I hope this conversation and others are helpful to you as you make your decisions in the 2021 elections here in New York City. There's a lot on the line for all of us. Goodbye.